Welcome to this episode of the Connecting Faith to Life podcast. I'm Trey Rhodes, the Connections Pastor at Northwood Baptist Church here in North Charleston, South Carolina. In just a few moments, our lead pastor, Dr. Tommy Metter, will be joining the conversation as well. In our crazy and chaotic world, our hope is that in these few minutes, we'll help you to stop and reflect on your relationship with Jesus as you learn to connect Christ-centered faith to your everyday life. Well, this is week 13, and today we're going to be discussing the persecution of the church. How do we respond in our lives and our churches? And uh, I think today we want to look at five lessons that we can learn from the persecuted church. Today, we're having a round uh, table discussion with an IMB uh, uh, personnel serving in Asia, Pastor Tommy, and you know him. Yeah, I know Don really well. We've gone, we go back a long time, but before we get to Don and introduce him, hey, Trey, we're recording this on a Monday morning very early, and we had a great day of worship at Northwood yesterday, didn't we? We did. It was awesome. Yeah, so we had just tons of people here. Uh, we're continuing to see people transformed by the gospel, and, and, and here's the deal, right? When we met for worship yesterday, you know, our second service, for example, it was hard to find a seat. I stood up and, and preached, and what I did not fear during that time was someone coming mm-hmm. in and stopping the exactly. service. Yeah. You just preach what you want, That's say right. what you want. But about, I don't know, eight or nine years ago, I made my first trip to Asia where uh, I met with Don and we served together for a week or so with him. And for the first time in my life, I was in a country where believers don't have that same kind of privilege as we do. And it, it made worship a little bit different. It does. When uh, we served in Russia for a few weeks, it was the same way. You had to be careful, you know, how you, how you responded and acted. Yes, yeah, so I remember being actually in an abandoned uh, soccer stadium. And this, this small church, 20, 30 people, met in an abandoned room in a soccer stadium, and that was their church. And mm. every time they met, they met knowing it could potentially be the last time they met. Man, that's just, uh, that's so foreign to our way of thinking, you know? Yeah, that would really change the way we would go to church on Sunday morning if that was the way it was here in the States, wouldn't it? Yes, totally change. So I do want to introduce a dear friend of mine. This is Don. He is an IMB missionary in Asia. Uh, he's not in the same country where I served with him uh, years ago. He's in a different country now, but he uh, served in a persecuted country for a number of years. Don, how you doing? Doing great. Yeah, it's good to be here. So tell us, as we get started, just a little bit about your role right now and what you're doing on the field. Yeah, so we uh, serve actually in Japan now, uh, serving as uh, in a leadership role, leading our missionaries and the, the IMB strategy work there. And so we've got about 65 uh, personnel serving in Japan. And so, yeah, very different than what we've experienced in the past. Mm-hmm. But God is good, you know, life is uh, an adventure in many ways, and we follow God where he leads. And this was an unexpected turn, I think, in our, our ministry. But like I said, we, what we've learned throughout our lives is that if you follow where God leads, he, he will he will, he'll bless. Yeah. That's right. So, that's exactly. Right. I actually met Don uh, through his in-laws. His in-laws were members of my former church where I was oh, at okay. North Augusta, and that's how I met he and his wife. And, and just uh, over the years, I've had a good friendship. I didn't realize that I had, uh, there were three things he didn't like about me. And one was, we just talked about this. I didn't drink coffee. And so he was very suspicious of me because I didn't drink coffee. So his suspicions are lessened now because there I started drinking coffee a few years ago. So we're, we're good now. But, but, but um, what you also don't know about Don, because you can't see him as you're listening to this, uh, he is the tallest IMB missionary that we have. How, how tall are you, About man? seven foot nine, right, Don? Not seven foot nine. That's a bit of an example. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've had three cups of coffee already this morning. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I'm probably not the tallest, but you know, one of the reasons I went to Asia is so that I could dominate on the basketball. Right. That's it. So, so I remember the first time I went and visited him in Asia, I mean, I, I'm, I am like tall in Asia and I'm five, six, right? Oh, and man. so Don, what are you like? Six, four, six, five? Just under six, three. Yeah. Six, three. He towers over everybody oh, there it, and he sticks out like a sore thumb. It's, it's amazing. And he, he is, you know, he plays a lot of pickup basketball. He's always uh, the postman. And so, yeah. There you go, man. That, that works. That yeah, works well. So, Don, how long did you spend in a persecuted country? Uh, so we lived there about uh, just under 13 years. Mm. So a good long time. It was a good long time. And so we want to talk about some of those experiences. So, Trey, why don't you kick yeah. us off with those experiences? Uh, I'd like to look at uh, five lessons that we can learn from the persecuted church as a, as a United States church. You know, we, we, it's, like I said, this concept is so foreign to us. So anything you can do to help us understand that would be uh, eye-opening to all of us. Um, but, but in reality, I think Jesus was very clear. He said this first thing is that persecution should be expected for those who follow Christ. Is that not right? Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, and I think that's something that we knew, uh, going over there. I mean, as you read the new Testament, there's just so many accounts of persecution, but, but quite honestly, I felt like I, I probably had kind of glossed over and passed over a lot of those things and, and assumed that wasn't for for me and us in this day and time, because I had never experienced it. Mm -hmm. But the truth is when you begin to see it firsthand and then go back and read the new Testament mm. again, you realize how, how, just how normative it is mm. for believers. And, you know, Jesus said in, in, uh, or Peter said rather in first Peter four, 12 through 14, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Mm -hmm. Rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And so if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. Um, and so Jesus also told his disciples, don't be surprised. They hated me. They're also going to hate you. Mm -hmm. And so this idea of persecution is normative for the believer. When you take a stand for Christ and for the gospel, the world will hate you. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, you know, I've, of, I've often said, Don, that in the United States, we not only live in a geographical or political bubble, but we also live in a historical bubble in mm -hmm. that the persecution, not only have we not experienced persecution as a church, our forebears did not. You know, they actually pulled out of the persecution and made sure that we were not persecuted here. But that's really a bubble in history and a bubble, you know, politically mm -hmm. as well. And the rest of the world, or quite a bit of the world, let me say it that way, is just so impacted by persecution. Yeah, that's that's right. And I, I think that, um, I mean, I would even take it one further. Mm -hmm. One thing that I realized about myself moving into this new context is not only did I not really ever experience real persecution, but I, I lived my life in such a way uh, that I avoided persecution of any mm, kind. Mm. kind of the, <laughs> yeah, I hear you. It, it tends to be our, uh, just the, the way that we think that we, we move towards greater comfort and safety in all things, yeah. you know, and, and so even as Christians, we seek to move our families towards greater comfort mm, mm. and safety. Uh, and in, in that way, avoid all kinds of persecution. And I think we feel like if any kind of persecution comes, that maybe we're doing something wrong, That's right. we're not our family That's or right. like That's that. Right. So, so let me ask you this question, Don. Let me ask you this question. Uh, being in a persecuted country for 13 years, just real briefly, how did that change your faith? Well, I realized, again, you know, just to the same first point that 
because persecution is normal. It's part of God's plan. Mm. I mean, it's, it's not just, Hey, this is going to happen. Be aware. I'll be with you and I'll walk you through it. But God uses yeah. persecution. And, and that's some of the other things that we're going to talk about, but uh, you see that God uses persecution to strengthen his church, strengthen believers and, and all of these things. And so, um, but to see people that we grew to know and love suffer for the sake of the gospel, mm. I mean, it, it was just, it was real. It was no longer just reading articles on Voice of the Martyrs or hearing stories told by others, but we, we experienced, you know, uh, people firsthand uh, suffering for the gospel and to see them come through it longer, man, mm. that just bolstered our faith in right. so many ways. And so, you know, you often hear people say, you know, well, you ended up blessing me much more than I ever blessed you. And that was, that was the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we grew so much because of the experience we got to have with faithful brothers and sisters. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Don and we need to uh, kind of move on to our next uh, lesson, but I remember, you know, one of my trips over to Asia uh, talking with a young girl who had had to flee the country because of it and had just come back and she was uh, serving as a help to us while we were in in the country and it was the first time since she'd been back to the country that uh, she was uh, uh, serving in ministry again translating for people like me who were there helping others to uh, be trained in how to teach and preach the bible but but anyway just just the 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 emotion of her story and to see her experience having to flee her country because of persecution and then come back to her country and jump right back in the saddle of ministering again, regardless of what the outcome might be, was just, man, it was awesome. It was inspiring. It would be. It would be. So if it is, Don, normative, then the second thing I think we need to look at is we should not pray primarily that persecution should stop. And I think that's always our prayer. You know, we in the West are praying. We say, oh, Lord, take the persecution away. But uh, you say, but rather pray that we would remain faithful in the midst of it. Yeah, and, and again, I think that um, once I was kind of removed from what I grew up thinking and then faced with a different reality, that really pushes you back towards the Bible to say, okay, how am I supposed to think about this biblically? Because this doesn't match up with what I've mm. always thought. Mm. You know, like you just said, we tend to pray that persecution would stop. Mm. But this quote actually came from a believer in Asia that, that said this, it wasn't me and my, but he said, don't pray that persecution would stop. Pray that we would remain faithful through it. Mm, so as we wow. get the scripture, first Corinthians four twelve, Paul says, and we labor working with our own hands when reviled, we bless when persecuted, we endure second Thessalonians one fourth. Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions mm. and the afflictions that you are enduring. So those ideas of enduring through persecution and remaining faithful are just prevalent throughout the New Testament. So Much give me safety. Yeah, yeah. Give me an example, Don. So you're sitting in, like I cite in some of my experiences there in Asia with you. You're sitting in uh, a, a, a church environment where you know that persecution is a very real possibility. And let's say that as you're sitting there, uh, you know it. You know that just around the corner, next whatever, it's 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 pressing in that the persecution is coming. How, with that group of believers, are you going to pray? How what? How are you going to pray with that group of believers? What 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 specifically are you going to pray? I know for faithfulness to endure and all those things, but how would you pray in that context, knowing that persecution is right around the corner? Yeah, and so really, I mean, so what does God do through persecution? He builds the faithfulness in His people, but He also often gives opportunities. Mm 
for the gospel to go forward. Yeah. And so that's so it's always a pressing of the battle rather than a pulling back right. in a defense kind of position, right? And mm-hmm. so wow. that would be one of the primary prayers is mm. that persecution is coming, but that we would see God work through that in a way that his gospel would expand, that it would go forward as a result of this. And it was really interesting. Um, you know, this was a few years ago, but uh, we had one of the, the meetings where some of our workers were meeting was busted up by police. And so they were waiting there uh, when, when the students and, and one of our workers arrived. Uh, ended up taking them all down to to question them and and uh, in that moment I, I think the tendency would have been try to defend yourself try to get out of mm-hmm. what might happen you know like wonder if I could save myself in this moment but the truth was and, and one of the the folks who was taken in question testified is I really felt the power of God in that moment wow. I knew kind of the gig was up you know what I mean yeah. like. like we, we had tables full of Bibles and we were studying together and you couldn't really deny that. And so when the questions were asked, why are you meeting here? What is it you're doing? I mean, she just boldly shared with wow. the police officers. I love God and God loves you. He wants you. <laughs> Amen. Amen. He began to share the gospel with the police officers. Mm, mm, so mm. that is, that's the, the idea of faithfulness is not just persevering, but even being bold in the face of that persecution. Right. right? Amen. Mm, that's good. Well, that's that good. you know, you you said persecution to be expected. We sh- we shouldn't pray for persecution to stop, but remain faithful. And uh, what you just said leads us to the third lesson. I think is that God often uses persecution to spread the gospel and to strengthen believers. So, um, so you're saying that persecution you think actually helps with the gospels uh, moving through the world, moving through the especially the persecuted church. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, well, because, you know, in so many of these places where you see a lot of persecution, these are not Christian societies, right? They did not grow up as Christians, and so that's not a normative lifestyle. And so any of those who would claim the name of Christ, they're automatically a little bit on the outskirts, right? They're a little bit weird initially, and and if you share with your neighbors that I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, they're automatically going to kind of look at you a little bit different. So now the question is, why should I believe that? Instead of what we already believe, whatever practice it is that we're already practicing. And so what differentiates Christianity from some of these other belief systems, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's what do we do in the difficult times? And so whether it's a sick child or persecution by the local authorities, how will we respond as believers? So when the police come and, and, and when they take you away or take your husband away, throw him in prison, how's the wife going to respond? Is she going to have a steadfast faith in, in, in God? Um, and if so, how powerful is that, right? Because we all know how we would respond in, kind of in the flesh or just naturally. But when, when a believer responds in a supernatural kind of way that says, you know what? The God that we serve, the one that we've shared with you about, he's in control and I have peace in this situation. Wow, that's really different. And so mm-hmm. that... Mm. answers the question like why should i believe that versus what i already believe because it 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 provides us peace and love and joy that cannot be found in any other place and so that's why it's important even in persecuted places that christians live out their faith as much as they're able to and they share verbally why they do the things they do and, and why they're different so yeah, does, when the persecution comes. Does, does that affect the persecutor as well? You know, the one that is doing the persecution? Have you ever seen that happen where 
you know, this uh, relationship with Christ and the, in the face of persecution, you know, the persecutor kind of steps back a little bit or is it just you're hoping that it might? Well, you know, so most of these would be secondhand accounts um, in that, uh, you know, even the story that I shared just a moment ago about the lady who began to share, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with the, the uh, police officers, they were taken aback. Uh, mm. Of course, they were not suspecting this at all. Uh, and so they ended up, I don't know, you know, they didn't turn to Christ that day, yeah. but uh, they ended up really going a lot easier on her in that way. And I mean, because they saw that she had a genuine love, mm-hmm. uh, she ended up reaching into her backpack and actually gave each of them, gave them a track and all of that kind of stuff. And so, wow. yeah, I don't know the long-term impact of that. Uh, but there's definitely other accounts. Uh, there was a book I was going to recommend uh, called The Insanity of God mm, by Nick book. Ripken. Yep. You guys read that? Yes, sir. Uh, that book is just full of accounts uh, of stories like that. Powerful, powerful book. I would highly recommend that you read that. Uh, mm, mm. Modern day examples of faithfulness. Yeah, we've read that uh, here, and I've, I've recommended that to most of our mission teams. We send out to read that book before they go. It is a powerful book, and you know, you think about it, uh, Don. Uh, here we are in the states, two thousand something years after the uh, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, and we are here, Trey, in this room this morning, largely because the gospel went forward through a persecuted there's, church. There's no doubt. I mean, we've been studying that in the book of Acts now yes. for a couple months. A persecuted church is, is what, uh, what what spread the gospel throughout the world, right? Mm-hmm. And and you think about, you know, Peter and, and Paul and and uh, the trials that they faced as they spread the gospel. Uh, yeah, I mean, that really was. I mean, and I think what you said, Don, is just so true, is this Man, when, when people see that we're able to stand firm and have peace and joy, and there's just, uh, history is replete of stories of people who've been martyred for the faith and how they went to their death, right, with with uh, conviction and with the just the, the joy of knowing that they were dying for Christ and how that impacted people because of uh, their resolve in their faith, their uh, uh, peace in the midst of the uh, experience. Uh, circumstances they were experiencing and their joy in Christ. I mean, people see that. People see how we respond to situations, and it causes them to wonder, what what is it that you have that I don't have that you can respond in that way? And I think so. You know, you think about work, for instance. People go to work, and something happens. And I always say, don't blame God if you're doing stupid things at work and they fire you. Mm. But when you do stand for the Lord in a, in a, in a gracious and, and godly way, you know, there is... I wouldn't call it persecution, but there's certainly pushback. Right, right. And I think our church as well needs to understand that 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 shouldn't be like, oh, you know, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't face that. Actually, yeah. the opposite is true is what we're trying to say here today. So mm, mm, mm. I think that's true. Um, so so that leads me because I think <laughs> this is very clear, and it happens also in the United States when those type of things happen. the The next lesson is uh, that you shared was persecution weeds out nominal Christians. Right, yeah. Don? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and, and we, we saw that very clearly where we were at. Um, because again, you, you mentioned earlier uh, about your uh, experience there, Tommy, but uh, e- even now, and I think it may be even more severe, uh, one of our dear friends uh, said that every week when they meet, their pastor is explicitly saying, this may be our last Sunday. Wow. And it's wow. very serious. Uh, and so, hey, let's worship God together, but just know we may not be able to do this again next mm, week mm. you know 
just some casual observers, some nominal Christians aren't going to hang around for that kind of that's stuff. That's right. That, that's a pretty strong benediction, isn't it, Trey? If I were to get up every Sunday and say, hey, this might be it for us. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I can't even imagine. Mm. You should try it. I, <laughs> right? <laughs> The, the good sad, church, good church growth strategy, right there. Yeah, well, well, the well, the truth. Yeah, there you go. That's kind of the opposite of church growth. But anyway, you know, the whole point is, is that you know, when we say the, if we were to say those things, they wouldn't even believe us. You know, I mean, because it's just not reality here. And so, uh, you know, it just is this again. This is so shocking for the American church to hear. I think. So what you're saying, yeah. Don, is in your context or in the context you were in. I mean, if you were going to follow Jesus, you really were going to follow Jesus. There wasn't no riding the fence. There wasn't, you know, nominal Christianity. If it's, if you're following, you're following. Right, and there was no. There's no benefit to just being a Christian. Like you know, mm-hmm. you can't get into a special club because of that, or it's not going to get you a promotion at work mm-hmm. uh, because you go to church. Um, it's, it's just obedience and and struggle at times. Right. 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 The faith in that context is difficult. And so, yeah, it's those who are just casually uh, casual observers are kind of just casually hanging on. They're not going to remain. There you go. Yeah, and that was the same thing that happened with Jesus when he preached to the masses, and then he started to, to give those hard teachings of what the Christian life would look like, right? I mean, when he started to give those hard teachings of, of take up your cross and follow me, what happened to the crowds, Trey? They took off. <laughs> right? <laughs> they left. And uh, it even happened to his own disciples, didn't it? Yeah, and we saw that in Acts, right? So you think about the death and resurrection of Jesus, and, and after the death and resurrection of Jesus, as believers meet, there's only 120 of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, thousands follow Jesus. Thousands of people follow Jesus, but when it push came to shove and they began to realize what following Jesus was all about, all that was left was 120. Man, do you think, you know, that would be a church growth. You know, we always talk about the successes. That would be kind of the opposite of that. Right. That would be like, this is what you don't do. Right. <laughs> you know, so it doesn't work that way. Yeah, but when you really do figure out what following Jesus looks like and what it means, it does have a way of, of weeding out the nominal for sure. Amen. All right, Don, the, the, the final lesson uh, that I think we need to look at is faithful followers of Christ in the midst of persecution, they say this words, Jesus is worth it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, uh, it's been a great encouragement to us. Once again, just to see uh, believers, brothers and sisters live faithfully through difficult times um, and with their lives. And I mean, there's a couple examples of this. One of our our dear friends who we worked closely with in Asia, uh, she experienced just numerous uh, trials in her life. I mean, just within a two-year period of time, uh, both of her parents contracted cancer and passed away. And then as they were actually uh, there uh, at her parents' apartment cleaning it up, her husband fell, hurt himself, took him to the doctor and found out he had stage four cancer. Mm-hmm. And this, I mean, this sister was just a faithful uh, partner in the work and for so long. And, and, and then her husband, uh, actually through this, came to the Lord, which praise the Lord for that, but then passed away within like six months. And so oh, wow. we talked to her after we were out of the country and just thinking, how do we console her? And, but just really wanting to talk with her. And as we, as we got on the call, though, she just began to encourage us and say, man, God has been so faithful to me through all of this and just pointed out even in these these kind of trials like how god was in it how he had brought others to faith because of it and and so yeah it was it was amazing to hear her testimony of faith and then just one more quick uh there was another situation a couple of years ago where another meeting was broken up and the guy who was there doing translation was was taken in 
And he was actually he actually spent a couple of days there at the police station and was roughed up pretty well and, and all of that. And when he got home, uh, we reached out and, and was able to talk to her his wife. And what she said was, wow, you know, at the end of the day, we, we are so blessed that God counted us worthy wow. mm-hmm. to be persecuted for the faith. And that reminds me of the verses from Acts, right? Exactly. Where, yeah, where, where the apostles were told, hey, don't speak about Jesus anymore. They beat him and threw him out. Mm. And they just kept, they went out and just kept preaching about yeah, him. Yeah, prayed for boldness. Help us do it more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we want to be bold. Amen. So that's the message that, you know, because even in, in today's you know society here in the States, it's like, why would I, you know, give my allegiance to Jesus? Why would I follow him and obey his commands? And because he's worth it. Mm, he's amen. worth laying down your life for him. Right. And so, yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it's a powerful testimony. Don, you've had some very <clears throat> unique experiences. And I know that God has used you and your family and, and I count a privilege to be your friend and brother in Christ. So for those who are listening today, who live in the context that Trey and I live in here in the States, just based on all of your experiences and what you've seen over the years as a missionary serving in a persecuted country, how would you encourage brothers and sisters in the States, what would be the one message you'd want them to hear from your experiences overseas? Well, first of all, just that final kind of that final thought mm-hmm. that Jesus is worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's called us. And I think this is what we've learned living overseas. He's called us to a radical discipleship, mm-hmm. a radical obedience uh, that, that extends so much more than just, you know, going to church on Sundays, uh, maybe occasionally on Wednesdays, if you're feeling really spiritual, yeah, yeah. But it should uh, permeate every area of our lives. And if you're walking in the Holy Spirit, he's going to lead you down some pretty radical paths, sometimes scary paths. But it's it's amazing. Mm. It's amazing when you step outside of yourself and the things that you can do in your own strength and follow the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, speak with boldness what he will do. Uh, the lives that you can see transformed, the miracles that you see see worked in in people's lives, and so I, these verses in Luke, where where Jesus says that if anyone's going to come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me, um, that if you try to save your life, you're actually going to lose it. Mm, that's right. Mm-hmm. If you lose it. You lose your life for His sake. You will save it. That is is really you know that's been a powerful verse because thinking now, what does that mean? Well, for me, it means I should not always be struggling to preserve myself and my way of life, but I should lay down my life to Christ, which says, whatever, however you want to use me, God, uh, I'll do it. And then just see how God will pick that life up and use it in amazing ways. And that's been the testimony we've seen in our lives and we've seen it in the lives of countless believers. So my encouragement to to you guys and your folks is seek the radical life that God is calling you to live uh, and just see what he can do with just one life surrendered. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So if we're going to say that Jesus is worth it, then he's worth it. If, yeah. if Jesus is worth it, he's worth it all. He's, he's worth us allowing him to consume our lives where he does permeate every, uh, every bit of our lives. Right, Trey. Amen. You know, it's so interesting that we, uh, you know, when we deal with, our church versus uh, the Eastern church and the persecution that they face, you know, we want to make sure that we are praying and living it out so that we can make sure that the gospel goes forth. And it's guys like you, 
that make that difference. And uh, I, I want to commend you for what you're doing. And, and you know, as a, as a believer in Christ, I just want to say thank you. And uh, I want to say that to all those who have gone and done the work uh, before. Uh, Pastor Tommy, we need to go ahead and close, but uh, why don't you just finish it up for us? Yeah, Don, thanks again for being with us today. And if you are a part of the Northwood family, a good news for you. Uh, Don is actually going to be here with us in December. He's actually stateside right now. He and his family on furlough. They're taking a little vacation from the, the busyness of Japan, and they'll be here for a couple months. And And in December, we're going to have him here uh, during the Lottie Moon Christmas offering season. He'll be uh, sharing with us on a Sunday morning, so I'm excited about that, and you'll be encouraged by him. If you're not a part of the Northwood family and you're listening to this, well, you can always watch us online or you can come to Northwood. Amen. No matter where you're at in the world, you can just get on a plane, come see us one Sunday, and it'll, <laughs> it'll be great, right? Uh, but we are thankful for Don and looking forward to you coming and sharing with us in a couple of months. And man, this is such an encouragement. I think it's an encouragement for us just to continue to remember that Jesus is worth it. He is worth every bit of our lives, no matter what we go through, uh, just to be found faithful in his eyes and to continue to serve him even in difficult times, knowing that the way we endure in our faith really does speak volumes about the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we hope that today that this episode was helpful for you and we hope that uh, if you like what you hear that you'll leave us a review and uh, share this with your friends help us get the word out about this podcast and as always we hope that this podcast has helped you connect faith to life